0: everybody, thank you so much for tuning in and welcome to High Five Success Stories, where I interview women from all different backgrounds who can offer advice and inspiration to Millennial gals. I hope you enjoy and have a great day. Hi everybody, welcome to High Five Success Stories. This episode is brought to you by McGuire Hayden Real Estate Company, where I actually work. It's a commercial real estate fund based right outside of Philadelphia. We own and manage over five million square feet of office, industrial, and lab space within a 300 mile radius of Philadelphia. So if you or a friend or family member is looking for space to lease, whether it be a standard office, or perhaps you need warehouse space for storage, or you might be in the pharmaceutical world and need lab space, you most likely will have an opportunity for you. So as of right now, our buildings that we own are in the Philadelphia suburbs, Virginia, Delaware, Pittsburgh. And we are always actively looking to purchase new properties within that 300 mile radius of Philly. So even if you are looking for space in New Jersey, New York, or Connecticut, please let us know because there's a really good chance we may be buying a building in that area that would have perfect space for you. So you can contact me directly at shayden at haydenrei.com. You can visit mcguirehayden.com. And also in the show notes, I'll make sure to list all the quantitative bound. Okay, so on to the main event, the podcast. Excited to share my interview with my friend, September Rainier. She's the co-founder of Tuckernock, which is a retail destination created for a classic modern lifestyle and inspired by good old-fashioned fun. They sell women and men apparel, shoes and accessories, home decor, really awesome gift ideas, and so much more. And a quick background, September and I went to high school, Notre um, uh, Dame Academy in Villanova, and then Penn. She was a year older than me, but was always super nice. So we had the best time catching up. She told me all about the story of how she co-founded Tuckernuck back in 2012 with Maddie Grayson and Jocelyn Galeat um, Maddie and September are best friends from Penn and Jocelyn is Maddie's older sister. So the trio launched a company over Maddie and Jocelyn's parents' garage in Georgetown and now, fast forward five years, they now have 22 employees, have their own office and have opened an awesome Tucker Knuck flagship boutique store on M Street in Georgetown. They also just finished their best quarter in sales as date So September takes us through her journey of co-founding Tucker Knuck, while at the same time providing us with honest stories of her setbacks and failures and how she powers through them with the utmost positive attitude and energy. I really was so inspired by September's hustle, her passionate enthusiasm for the Tucker Duck brand and her humbleness. So I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with September as much as I did. Okay so welcome September to High Five Success Stories. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks, Steph. I'm excited to do this with you.
0: And just so everyone knows, it's the day after Christmas, so it's kind of a crazy day. <laughs> so I really appreciate you taking the time. And quick history, too. So September and I went to Notre Dame together. Uh, she was a year above me, though. And then Penn as well. So you were always super nice to me, being one of the older girls. So that was <laughs> fun. And then we have stayed in touch, too, over the past, like, 10 years or so. I guess it's been since you graduated, right? Yeah. All right. So I thought we'd start out by having you tell the story of how Tucker and App was founded. So obviously went to Notre Dame, but Villanova and then graduated from Penn in 2009. Mm-hmm. And then in 2012, Tuckernack originated. So can you provide us with a little bit of a background story of your journey to Tuckernack?
1: Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. My mm-hmm. dad was in the supermarket business and my mom had been in the bridal business. And then always do a little bit of real estate investing on the side. And um, I'd grown up working for my dad my entire life. So I learned every aspect of the retail industry from, you know, behind the cash register to up mm-hmm. in the accounting room. And he had always really encouraged me, both my parents did, to create my own destiny. So in college... I had gone abroad with my best friend, Maddie Moore, and we became very close over the years and she too had grown up in a pretty entrepreneurial family. And when we graduated from Penn in 2009, it was, you know, right after the financial crisis, there weren't a lot of, there weren't many jobs to be had, but we had this desire to create something and we, Maddie, had grown up in Georgetown in Washington, Mm. D.C., and we had both had an opportunity to work for a retail company that was very homegrown. It was a mom and pop shop and they manufactured bags. Okay. They were called scout bags and oh, they right. were sold in yeah, 1200 stores across the country. Mm-hmm. And Maddie and I knew that we wanted to, you know, ultimately start a business in the design world. And so it was actually the perfect opportunity for us to be in business to that together, kind of learn the playing field of the retail world, but also, you know, work on our ideas on nights and weekends. So we, Maddie and I both started working at Scout right after graduation. I launched their e-commerce site and Maddie ran all of their wholesale brands. Mm -hmm. And that really introduced us to the world of retail and trade shows. And by doing this, we were able to see how many of these really cool brands that were primarily wholesale were trapped in these brick and mortar boutiques across the country. So after a year of really learning the retail industry and how to market these brands, Maddie and I partnered with Maddie's older sister, Jocelyn, who had the finance and private equity background, Mm -hmm. and we launched YouScoop. That's right. Okay. So YouScoop was a company where... And what year is that? So this was in 2011. Okay. Got it. So we launched YouScoop, and YouScoop was a... It was a, you know, style and home inspiration, style and home inspiration for college students. And how we made money was that we would find the coolest, most stylish kids on campus. Mm -hmm. By year one, we had 100 campus ambassadors across the country. Then we'd partner with a brand like Vineyard Vines or Barber, and we'd have them send clothing to the students, our campus ambassadors on campus. Then we'd offer a deal to their website at like 50% off. But what we we were able to do was really inspire other college students to buy and their parents to buy because they saw these really cool photos of these you know, kids on campus wearing their product, mm-hmm. and then we made a commission off the deals at the end of the day. Right. Okay. But that was really uh, a great introduction to merchandising and marketing, and you know what really gets people to buy at the end of the day. So we did that for a year, and along the way, we had you know gained a lot of traction in DC and caught the attention of the DC tech community. Mm-hmm. So we had a couple venture capital firms reach out to us. And at the time, and we were, we were doing this above Maddie's Garage in mm-hmm. Georgetown. So, you know, it was just the three of us. And we were working day in and day out to get these deals and find these right. you know cool kids on campus. And we had a venture capital firm call us out in from Silicon Valley. And they, it was funny, the first time they called, they asked us if we wanted to be a lifestyle company above the garage or mm-hmm. wanted to 10x this thing. And we were like, we're going to stay right here. <laughs> right, 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 Because we just, we really believed we could do it ourselves and we didn't have to move out there. But yeah. they called us enough and convinced us to move out to Silicon Valley. So after a year, after a year and a half of YouScoop, we moved out to Silicon Valley and lived there for six months where we were, we were incubated by a firm called 500 Startups. Okay, and before we went out to Silicon Valley, we saw our business changing and we we didn't believe in the longevity of deals because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's a marketing gimmick. Right. What we did believe in was that we were finding these amazing brands and they weren't being marketed well online and in one place. So we actually moved out to Silicon Valley with the intention of launching a full price e-commerce store. And... It was the perfect incentive for us to do so because at the end of the incubator, you had mm-hmm. to go pitch a bunch of investors and you had to kind of show them what you created okay. while you were there. So it gave us a you know timestamp. We knew we had to do it in six months. And so when we were out there, we launched TuckerNuck within month three and we were running both TuckerNuck and, and you you Scoop too? at the okay. same time. But we realized that we were much more passionate about Nuck. We mm-hmm. believed in the long-term vision of it. And we had made a lot more money in a few short months. So by the end of 500 startups, we had, you know, raised a bunch of money. We had launched Tucker and then we moved back to Georgetown and we realized that if we were going to do something really well, we had to focus on just that. So that's when we, you know, dedicated hundred percent of our
0: time to Tucker And 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 what is Tucker exactly? The vision, do the listeners know?
1: Yeah, sure. So Tucker is a lifestyle um, e-commerce brand mm-hmm. that aggregates clothing, accessories, and home decor for that classic all-American lifestyle. So okay. we wanted to build a brand that you know was much more about what you were doing in the clothes than the clothes themselves. So okay. it's inspired by our own lives and the activities that we love to do and the brands that we've found in our travels and over the years and mm-hmm. that we've loved to curate in one place. So we were primarily online for the past five years and we just okay. opened up our flagship store about a year ago yeah. um, right in Georgetown in the heart okay.
0: of DC. I know I love that story so it's been what like a little over a year since that's no been open? Yes. Okay very cool. So one thing I want to talk to you about also was when we were in Vegas. Oh yeah. With, when we were for Liz Finney's Bachelorette um, mm-hmm. back in April uh, before the podcast a little bit you talked to me about the influence your mom and dad had on you and like we talked before the interview started, adversity has been sort of a hot topic in the interview. So with Marty Gillen, she touched on when she lost her son's age when he was just 30. With Eddie Donato, he was shot six times. And then uh, Mrs. Burke, a so Katie Burke's mom, who I just interviewed lost her husband just around like 12 years ago. So I like talking about these topics because um, I feel as though you and Marty and Eddie and Mrs. Burke can be real life um, role models to people going through similar you know um, hardships. And it's funny enough, I just read this book that Eddie recommended. It's called um, Resilience, Hard-Won Wisdom from Living a Better Life. Um, so it's a New York Times bestseller by Eric Gretens, and I'm probably going to butcher his last name. And the characters are Eric, the author, and Zach Walker, and both were one time Navy SEALs together. So the whole book is about um, Eric writing letters to Zach, who has post-traumatic stress disorder, and sort of humbling and uplifting letters on how to get through it. Mm-hmm. And one concept they talk about is that you have to find models. So that's sort of why. I like talking to you and Eddie and Marty and um, spark So, would love for you to tell the story of the influence your dad has had on you and when he passed away when you were in college too. Yes.
1: Yeah, so, my dad had the ultimate influence on me. I and mean, mm-hmm. growing up, everything I did was to please my or please my dad for him to be proud of me. And you know, it, he always made me he always make made me work harder. And he was a perfect balance to my mom because my mom mm-hmm. was always telling me, you know, as long as I tried my hardest, that was all that mattered. Whereas my dad, you know, he wouldn't sign a test unless it was a hundred because mm-hmm. he's, he was always telling me, I know you can do better than that. And some, so I'd grown up, you know, working for him outside of school. And he was always telling me to surround myself with, you know, really hardworking people. Mm-hmm. And that if I wanted to do something, as long as I put my mind to it, I could do anything I wanted. So when I was a sophomore in college and he passed away, very suddenly, Mm. that was obviously, you know, the hardest thing that I've ever been through in Mm. my entire life. And the way that I was able to kind of deal with the tragedy and the grief that I was experiencing is I poured my whole self into school. And I I basically poured myself into everything that that I knew he'd be proud of me doing. So Mm. it made me, you know, extra attentive in the classroom. and Not that I already wasn't, but that's... I poured myself into my work because something that my dad and mom had always taught me is that, you know, you are going to deal with a tragedy and you're going to deal with setbacks in your life, but you're either going to be the victim of the situation or you're going to allow it to make you stronger. Mm -hmm. So I think focusing on ways that it could make me stronger really allowed for me to deal with it. And Mm -hmm. it was a way that I knew that I was, you know, channeling my father and that he would be proud of how I was coping or how I was you know, and dealing with his loss. So I think that's the most important thing that, you know, losing the most important person in my life Mm -hmm. has taught me is that you can either turn it into something positive or you can focus on how you're at a disadvantage than any other person who is fortunate enough to, you know, have Mm -hmm. a living father in their life. So I do think that the more times that you experience setbacks, you also learn how to make them positive rather than negative you know, emotional experiences. So mm-hmm. I'm always focused on how I can make this, you know, push me further in life rather than hold me
0: back. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I, uh, Marty Gillen had a similar way too. When her, when her son died, she um, started Speak Up. So that was sort of like uh, continuing on his legacy. Yeah. And then um, like Mrs. Burke had a similar approach to you. She actually poured herself into her work as well. So I like that a lot too. And then the other book that we've talked about a lot is Sheryl Sandberg's book. Have you read oh, that yeah. option B? Okay, it was a long time ago.
1: Wait, is that oh so I've never first in. okay yeah and no I so heard option her,
0: so. B is when she lost her husband suddenly when he was mm-hmm. like fifty and it's all about how she coped with it those first two years mm-hmm. and one topic she talks about is um, isolation so she felt a lot of isolation when she went back to Facebook because a lot of people um, didn't know what to say so they sort of mm-hmm. just avoided her so did you experience that at all at Penn? at pen I
1: definitely think that people who haven't dealt with a tragedy like that, they Mm kind of tiptoe around the situation and don't know what to say to, you know, the person that has experienced it. And, I mean, I I still don't know what to say to other people that have experienced it because you truly can't describe what you've been through until it's actually... You you truly just will never understand what it's like to lose someone that important to you until it's actually happened to you. But I do think... um, that you make a good point by saying that shower always said, like, you know, I'm here for you if right. you need me and when you need me. And I think that is a great way to approach it. And the other thing is I do think that people, you don't, the scariest part is that you're going to forget. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're going to forget the person, mm-hmm. you know, the, the little longer and longer it's been since they passed away. So yeah. to me, I love talking about my dad. I yeah. love hearing people that had, you know, experiences with my dad that I never knew about. and. Okay that's what keeps him alive and the memory alive it is talking about that so meeting people who knew your dad that could tell you a story that you didn't know before Mm -hmm. or even having friends tell you about like why they liked your dad so much those little things I think actually helped me cope with it a lot so Mm -hmm. just hearing positive things from people that knew my dad through me or in another way that's what it's has always, you know, been the most important thing to me. And I feel like it can turn it into a really positive remembrance rather than it being so sad. Because, you know, it, it is important to keep the memories alive. And it, right. there, a day doesn't go by where I don't think about him. But right, right. I have to... It, it. You do start to feel like you're losing it as time passes. Mm-hmm. So I think just... You Know if you knew that person, just making them aware of like you know what you remembered about the one that was related to them is the most important thing you could do,
0: yeah. I think that's good advice yeah. too because I think people are afraid to um talk about it with people so they yeah. think it's going to upset them. And meanwhile, like you said, you think about them every day, yeah. So I think it's good advice, even if someone um like lost their dad like five or five years ago, talk to them about it, yeah. Would you recommend because it keeps their you know, keeps them kind of alive in their mind too. Yeah. Which is nice.
1: And I do think a lot of people reached out to me, Mm -hmm. people that I least expected and went to school with that wrote letters to me of like either that they had been through a similar situation Mm -hmm. or they were just writing to let me know that they were available. And something like that too, just lets you know that people are open to talking about it Mm -hmm. when you're ready. And yeah, so I do think a letter goes a long way as well. Did
0: you go right back to school? Did you take off any time? Or no? Not
1: really. Okay. I went right back to school because I'm the type of person I just have to had be to busy yeah. and distracted or else I would go crazy. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Did yeah, it I help do. that
0: you're from Villanova now, so it's like close yeah. to Penn? Okay. Yeah, it
1: definitely made it a lot easier. I do think that it had I been, you know, at a campus where it was a couple-hour drive or it was a plane right away, it would have been a lot harder for me. And yeah. I probably would have had to stay home for some of it. Right. But, no, I was very much, you know, needed to pour myself back into right, it. yeah. School.
0: And then another cool question, too, is that Mm -hmm. um, uh, Marty actually mentioned this that um, when someone loses someone sort of sometimes wait for three or six months until like the grief lifts from them a little bit and then sort of reach out and see our because then people not not they start forgetting but they're not there as much as they were in the very beginning
1: yeah and no I do think that is a good point sometimes it does take I mean definitely like a week or so before Mm -hmm. you're ready to like really start talking to people but um I think for every person it's really different Different, I mean no person deals with tragedy in the exact same way so just I mean, if you know the person well enough, you can kind of sense whether they're, you know, a talker or maybe they're, you know, more of a private person. So you yeah. just have to kind of feel out how well you know them and what they typically respond to. Okay.
0: And then one other thing we talked about in Vegas is, yeah. um, so, gratitude and positive thinking. So did you use that at all during Oh 100%. those first, like, year I mean, and stuff? Okay.
1: I think gratitude and positivity are honestly what's kept me alive in business it's the mm-hmm. most important things in life and i think it's just a true representation of the most successful people you know if mm-hmm. i mean if you're not grateful for all that you've been given how can you be successful in the long run and that's something that my parents have Always taught me is to like give back more than I receive, and that you truly, in order to be happy, you have to be grateful for mm-hmm. all of the you know opportunities that you've been presented with. And in business, there are, I mean every day is a fire drill for mm-hmm. me, and every day I'm putting out those fires, and it's just one problem over one problem after the next and that's how most businesses are and it's you just always having a positive outlook Mm -hmm. being the optimist being like you know this door shut another door open or maybe we will have to build a door but just always seeing the positive side of the situation is what gets you to the next day to the next month year Mm -hmm. etc so hands down the most important thing and I think that's dealing with setbacks over and over again naturally makes you a more positive person mm-hmm. if you do just constantly come out on top.
0: Yeah, and look for the positives every yeah. single time. And then your brain will start being conditioned to look yes, for Yes, exactly. For sure, yeah. And then, oh, the other thing I wanted to ask you too is that um, your mom has had a major influence on you as well. So I would love to hear kind of her story and what she's doing now.
1: Yeah, sure. Well. So my mom is a, is now a real estate and land developer. Okay. and. She um, had a very big influence on me because, you know, my dad was always the one pushing me to work extremely hard. Mm -hmm. But she, on the other end of the spectrum, was always telling me that I had to think and dream bigger or else, you know, I was going to be working for my entire life without enjoying, you know, the fruits of my labor. So she's really been such a big influence on me in the sense that she's always, you know, work smarter, not harder. So retail can definitely be a tough business mm-hmm. because you know, you have to be on 24 seven and you're dealing with the ebbs and flows of um, the year and the seasonality of the business. But at the end of the day, you have to step back and figure out, you know, what are the systems and efficiencies I need to put in place that I'm not, that I can in five years be working less less hard on this and right. be able to step back and grow my business in the way that I want it to be grown. So. Yeah. Um, My mom is a big believer in real estate because Mm -hmm. she always jokes that, you know, She's going to have money work for her rather than her right. work for the money. Right, right, And I think that's had a big influence on me because it's forced me to build a company that I know in, you know, five to 10 years, I'm not going to be have to be in the weeds every day like I mm-hmm. am now. So putting those systems and efficiencies in place and also being able to delegate, okay. I think that's something that's been really hard for me because when you've done, you know, every piece of the business, but then you're in a position where you're like, if we're going to be able to take this to the next level. I need to yeah. hire people to do
0: divide and
1: conquer. Yeah, okay. divide and conquer. So I've become a much better delegator because of okay. her and um, I'm just, you know, always envisioning my future. And Mm -hmm. that's something that I think is really crucial to success too. My mom, you know, has a vision board every day and she's like, if you don't see it, it's never going to happen. So just always picturing what I want to look, what I want my life to be like in three years, five years and getting as specific as possible Mm -hmm. because what you believe will happen. Does she write it down? Or she writes. actually have, like, a board? Oh, she has a board, <laughs> writes it down, um, wants me to present my board to her. <laughs> yeah, so, but I do think just getting in the mindset that if you don't picture it, it won't happen. Right. So, um, you know, all of the best athletes do that, mm-hmm. and it the is true. The secret tr- says yeah. that, too, yeah. It is true for business as well. So every day and that's why I'm fortunate to have co-founders because we can kind of talk through our visions together art. yeah yeah and we you know we want to create a life uh, lives for ourselves where we can enjoy the business as, as hard as we work on it Definitely, so yeah. that's something that I think my mom has really ingrained Ingrind. in me
0: yeah and back to Tucker Knuck too yeah. did you guys have like an aha moment when you knew sort of that it was going to be successful or there's little moments along the way
1: yes i think they um I mean, there's that crazy stat, which I might butcher right now, but I think 98% of businesses that don't make it past a million dollars fail, especially women-founded businesses. So I think at the point of which we hit a million dollars in revenue, which mm-hmm. was a year and a half into the business. I think oh, wow. that's when we knew yeah. that we were, you know, onto something. And I mean, at the end of the day, something that we always told ourselves is we'll never fail if we never give up. And yeah. we just, we refuse to give up. And right, if you right. refuse to give up, then how can you ever fail? So it just, we will always come up with a solution, even if, you know, it seems like the end of the world, but... Yeah. Yeah, so our aha moment was, I would say, when we hit a million dollars in revenue and when we made a commitment to each other that we would never give up on each other or the business. Okay. That was, you know, when I really knew I was in business with the right people and right. that um, we were going to do
0: this no matter what. When did you guys start hiring people? So, um, so we you. started
1: hiring uh, people. Our first employee was with scoop and that was about six months into the business. And then when we launched TuckerNuck in... Out in Silicon Valley, our, we brought our creative director on. So okay. she, Sophie, who had gone to Penn with us, had been working with us on nights and weekends, but she was actually a trader by day in, mm. in, in St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Okay. And so we convinced her that if we we're going to be big, we needed her to be on board. Mm. And so she packed up her bags, quit her trading job, and moved out to Silicon Valley with okay. us. Okay. And so she was, yeah, she, she and Emily, Emily being our first hire from you Scoop, were really okay. like two of the
0: founding okay. um,
1: members of Tucker
0: Knock And as how well. big are you guys now?
1: Now
0: we're at 22. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. And then the lifestyle stuff too. So like I'll see pictures that so everyone knows September just got married three months uh-huh. ago. It was a really cool wedding in Italy. Do you guys use those life events to help spread the Tucker word? Yeah, Like bachelorettes and weddings and stuff?
1: Yeah, exactly. Because at the end of the day, like people want to follow Tucker but they want to follow our story as much as right. they want to follow, you know, the lifestyle catalogs that we're doing. And we've always really believed in... I mean, you know, celebrities influence us and bloggers influence Mm -hmm. us. But we have always believed that we're more influenced by our friends who, you know, live these cool lives, are doing cool things and, Mm -hmm. you know, look great while doing it. So we're not as good as featuring ourselves as we should be. But um, that's something that we're really going to focus on in the next few years is just making sure that we're, you know telling that story from the the behind-the-scenes perspective Mm -hmm. because that's what people really relate to and they grab onto. And um, I think we're at an advantage that, you know, Jocelyn, Maddie, and I are kind of in different stages of our Mm -hmm. lives. So we can celebrate, you know, the fact that Jocelyn just had a baby, that I got married, um, you know, that Maddie just bought a house. So these are things that, you know, it attracts all ages. Mm -hmm. And that's what we we try to do a good job of telling those stories, but we need to – we're going to focus on it – Even more in the next few years. Yeah.
0: I love how you guys do that. Yeah. It's really fun. And everyone should check out September's wedding. So it's so pretty. (laughs) And then did you have any, um, like a favorite failure in your business career that was sort of like the gateway to later success? So it really hurt when it happened. But then when you look back, you're like, okay, that's why that happened.
1: Yeah. I mean, Every day we're (laughs) – it's funny because when you're – you, to be a successful entrepreneur, you truly just have to be okay with failure and recognize Mm -hmm. that it's going to happen probably every day, probably more than once a day. And if I think back to – I can remember so many little failures and nothing seems that big when I look back at it now that they they all seem pretty little. But I guess you scoop was probably the biggest – Failure in the sense that we, you know, completely changed our business. But mm-hmm. without you scoop, we would have never launched Tucker Knox. Right. So with every failure creates a brand new opportunity, and yeah. just looking back and realizing that the opportunity that came from it, rather than you know perceiving it as a failure. So right. nowadays, we joke because because we're placing such big buys, and we're you know in a retail business that you're placing big bets on certain products that is something that's important to reflect on. So we'll look back at a season and we have to look at, you know, what did well as, mm-hmm. as much as what didn't do well. And so okay. those are my failures. Right, in my mind. Right. Now yeah. I often link failures to products, but if you just see, if you just are able to recognize what good came of it,
0: then yeah. that's really helped me a lot. And you guys just and finished your busiest time, right? Yes, then you do like eighty percent of your sales or something. Yeah, November so and the crazy,
1: yeah, it's something that was new to me in the retail industry mm-hmm. that I had never known before, especially in the fashion industry. Is that yeah, forty percent of our business is done in November and December alone. Okay. So a lot of the year you're gearing up for
0: these two big months. So got it. You have a lot riding on it, but yeah. yeah, yeah. So you're just finishing that right now then? Yes.
1: Yeah, so we just yeah. got out of um, Q4. We were able to have you know our most successful se- season yet and launched a brand oh, new awesome. website. Yeah. yeah.
0: So this has been the most successful one? Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. So that was really exciting. Yeah. And the new website was just launched in December or mm-hmm. earlier? So it launched a week before Cyber Week. So in November. Okay. Got it. That's yeah. awesome. I love that. So the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, oh, if there are a lot of women out there young, middle-aged, or older who might have a lifelong dream or passion to start their own business. So what sort of advice would you give them to pull the trigger?
1: I'm a true believer in, you know, execution each strategy for breakfast. So you just have to go out and do it. And you can talk about it all you want, but unless you're doing something, I mean, your idea is nothing unless you, you're you actually putting it to paper and, you know, getting out there and walking the walk. So mm-hmm. I kind of think back to when Maddie and I were working on the idea for You Scoop and, you know, we were... Do- you know, doing it on nights and weekends. And we were constantly presenting it to our parents, making okay. people sign NDAs. Like yeah. <laughs> We were, you know, swearing them to secrecy. But after a year of our parents listening to us, they told us that we either needed to stop talking about it okay. and do something about it, or they were never going to hear about it again. Right, so right. that really pushed us to launch You Scoop. And I think People are so scared of failing, but you mm-hmm. won't know until you try. Yeah. And as long as you commit to never giving up and mm-hmm. just that you're going to put your best foot forward and try your hardest, you, you can't go wrong.
0: So, yeah. That mm-hmm. kind of brings yeah. me back to um, the one of the first questions I had for you about passion. Yeah, Because I feel as though the other um, people I've interviewed that are startups, like Liz Finnegan, I did Joanne Cloak. She started like a woman golf. And tennis apparel line and then you know Janie Winchester we were talking about and Lucy Lurch the jewelry lines Um, uh, they always tell about opportunities that sort of like arose out of nowhere like mm-hmm. I know like someone like donated lists like all the Pilates, um equipment and correct me if I'm wrong or if you think differently but I think sometimes when you're so passionate about something and you be- really really believe in it obviously you're working hard towards it that opportunities sort of just arise out of nowhere did that happen at all with Tucker in early stages? Oh yes stages?
1: it happens all the time Um, I think back to you know how we were able to open our first store. We never in a million, I mean, we th- we knew we were going to open up stores, but mm. we thought it was very much in our, you know, five years from now. But yeah. then an amazing opportunity with this, you know, real estate firm that had, we had done a pop-up shop with, and we had kind of done them a favor by doing the pop-up shop, presented us with an awesome opportunity for you know, a space in the heart of Georgetown mm-hmm. um, with a one year out, and you know, typically you're signing ten year leases in mm-hmm. a place like Georgetown. So it was us just saying, I think, saying yes to a lot of opportunities that you might have said no to.
0: Okay,
1: well. Allows for you know doors to open. so yeah. you know you can get so exhausted by your business and it, you know people are always asking you to do things, but the I really am a big believer in trying to say yes as much as possible because you never know where a meeting might take you or if you try you know a new outlet to sell your clothing, what other doors may open so right. I think always being us always being open to new ideas and saying, Yes to opportunities where we didn't necessarily feel like it at the time um, has caused us to, you know, really flourish. And that is something I always look back on. I'm like, had we not said yes to that, we would have never ended up here. So, yeah, I think that's huge. And that's what makes it so that other opportunities present themselves.
0: for sure. And then, uh, okay, so obviously strong work ethic is important when you're doing a startup, but do you have any other quality that has helped you become successful that sort of sets you apart from the rest? Yes, strong
1: work ethic, Mm -hmm. positivity is huge. I mean, we will not hire someone who is not a positive person. And Mm -hmm. that's something I think that as we've grown bigger and the more people we hire, we realize how important it is to your company culture right? and to in a startup. I mean, any startup is fast paced. It's, you know, you're doing the grind every single day, but surrounding yourself with people who make it fun, who laugh and just are positive, happy people. That's what makes it worth it. And that's mm-hmm. what makes it exciting for everyone else. Yeah. I think back to positivity, yeah, passion comes along with mm-hmm. that. So we always believe in hiring really passionate people, because at the end of the day, no matter what you're doing, you're selling and you're selling right. yourself, you're selling your product. you're selling what you're doing and you have to, you're selling it to the customer as much mm-hmm. as you're selling it to your coworkers right. and the people that you work for. So passion is huge for us. And then resiliency. Okay, so yeah. with something that, you know, we've really, learned over the years is grit and that you are able to overcome anything as long as you, you know, realize what positivity can come out of it. And Mm -hmm. that's something that I think it's hard for a lot of young people out of college. They, you know, they're so used to being on the top of their class or, you know, it's come really easy to them with school, but business, when you're in business, you're dealing with the real world, real Mm -hmm. people. And, you have to just be okay
0: with failure and just bouncing back bouncing from back. that. Yeah, and um, that's like the quote from the book. Um, did you read that book at all, which Angel book? Duckworth's book, um, yeah. The Power and Passion and Perseverance? So she talks about the word grit throughout yes. the whole the whole time, and that's interesting. What the so what does the word grit mean to you? Like resiliency? What you're resiliency, saying? Resiliency
1: yeah. is showing up every day, okay. just being there when your team needs you. I think when I've, now that we have so many young people working for us, I realize that they, you know, they're so quick to present me with a problem. Mm-hmm. And now I don't even allow them to come and present the problem unless okay. they've got through possible solutions. Because okay. you do have to train your mind to think through solutions and not just look at the problem. Right. And um you have to have the courage to do that. And it's, you know, you're not always going to have the right answers, but just being, having the courage to present something mm-hmm. is... I think a lot goes back to grit and just being able to, you know, move past whatever's, you know, happened.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like you're carrying out your dad's legacy, also? Like, would he be really pumped about this? Yes, he would definitely be
1: um, very excited, and I think he would be amazed at how quickly you can scale a business online because with back in the day, you know, you could only really scale of retail business by opening up you know stores in different cities and we do have you know every intention of opening up stores in other cities but we've been able to scale so much so much quicker and so much more efficiently Mm -hmm. online and now we're able to do stores really well but had we done stores first I think it would have been harder to scale online so I think he would be amazed at
0: you know how quickly
1: you can grow a retail business these days.
0: totally does Instagram help too Oh, Instagram is huge. It's huge? Yeah. yeah, I read somewhere that I found something last night. Like I think in two thousand and fourteen, you had like eighteen thousand followers. I looked last night; you're like at sixty thousand, mm-hmm. which is crazy. And only like what is that? Three years.
1: Yeah. So it, we jumped from yeah to fifty thousand pretty quickly. And have any and,
0: famous people been wearing the Tacker knock?
1: You guys oh, hear we, up? Yeah, we had a bunch of well, a couple of Vogue editors we saw okay. on Instagram in our earrings last week, and then um, Jordan Spieth what now fiance is oh, yeah. a huge shopper on our website i just heard
0: he just got engaged yesterday yeah
1: okay so he she's a really big shopper on yeah our website. that's so cool and we always joke because she uses his credit card so it shows up like jordan <laughs> speith placed the order <laughs> um i'm trying to think of who else right now oh reese witherspoon has
0: oh really yeah been that's a, a fun one site.
1: yeah 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 so it's always, I remember like in the beginning when we had a bunch of magazine editors oh, order God. from our site that like, that was always really exciting. Yeah. Um, totally. but we we would love who are some other ones
0: Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, that's you, a fun yeah. one. Okay. Who else is telling me when they had fun? Like Lisa Lurch was saying, when she sees their stuff on like the Southern Charm or whatever. Oh, they're yes. wearing her yeah. jewelry. Yeah. Really fun. But how are you with time, too, for doing oh, um, rapid d- fire? Yeah. You're good? Yeah, okay. Too. So, the rapid fire question. Okay. So, when you think of the word success, who do you think of? And, and it can be more than one person.
1: Um, when I think of the word success, I think my mom is the first one who comes to mind because mm-hmm. she has really, you know, overcome adversity but Mm -hmm. is so positive and grateful and really makes me focus on making sure that, you know, I'm always prioritizing my family and friends first over the business and that I'm making the business create a life that I wanted to create rather than, you know, working for the business my whole life. So I think she's really defined success for me and Mm -hmm. every day, you know, I feel – like, I mean, they're getting taken down by the business or just so tired. Yeah. I think back, I'm like, okay, then I'm doing something wrong if okay. I'm not enjoying this anymore. Because the yeah. second I stop enjoying it and having fun, then, you know, why is it worth it? So right, exactly. I always try to step back and think of what she would be doing if I feel myself ever getting bogged down. Okay,
0: I like that. Anybody else that comes to mind?
1: Well, the I think the book that has changed my life and I always – is. Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and mm, Influence yeah. Others. And that um, has such made a me good one. such a good one. And I think that's really defined success and leadership for me mm-hmm. because it was so hard for me to manage people when, you know, I had never even really been managed yeah. myself. And I was first, you know, had to learn learned to manage myself and my time before I could learn to manage others. And just going back to focusing on people's strengths, always being positive, mm-hmm. and creating a culture where people thrive and are encouraged rather than feel threatened and a sense yeah. of fear—that um, has been. I mean, that's taught me everything. Right. So that I think he's changed my life in terms of really defining like what success should look like mm-hmm. and. How, how you kind of get there.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Everyone should read that. So yeah. I actually, um I keep it on my desk every morning instead of like flipping through Instagram, which I sometimes do. Everyone yeah. has those moments. But um, I'll read like a quick chapter before starting the day and it always like brings me back because he has really good points on being like, enthusiastic. And then uh, what else do you say that's really good? Oh, when whenever you meet someone, like believe like the best in them. Yes. And mm-hmm. don't be judgmental and just really good facts that really presents in this box.
1: And I do truly believe that at the end of the day, everyone just wants to feel wanted and appreciated and how you are able to encourage them through genuine appreciation Mm -hmm. and that, you know, there is flattery, but then there's truly understanding what drives someone Mm -hmm. and how to kind of position whatever you're doing and and refocus it based on what makes them motivated and then being truly grateful for it is how you get the best out of people.
0: Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also good. I think it's from this book that I was reading his book, is that when you're in a fight with someone, sort of, if you take ownership, for yeah. what went wrong right away, and then say, it's, it's all me, it's all me, It the person will like back down a little bit, yes. which I thought was interesting, which works for me a lot of the time.
1: And yeah. being the leader in a, at a company, you realize that you have to assume most, you know, 99% of what's gone wrong. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you're you know making most of the team's decisions. And when, you know, your peers and others that work for you see that you admit fault, it mm-hmm. also makes them able to admit it too and you don't and that's what builds trust and builds loyalty. Yeah,
0: I agree. I think owning your mistakes it's yeah. hard to do in the moment, but then it goes so so yes. far.
1: Yeah. So true.
0: Um so what advice would you give to your twenty five year old self? Most of the people I've interviewed have been like forty and older, so I'm like what advice would you give to your thirty year old self? But since we're only thirty. I would be say
1: um to think bigger and dream bigger. Okay. So with you know, my first business you scoop it I think we were thinking too small and you do you have to train yourself to always be thinking bigger and dreaming bigger. So, you know, what's going to make this, you know, a billion-dollar business rather than, you know, a $10 million business? Mm -hmm. And that, I think, just takes a lot of practice and determination. Mm -hmm. And at 25, I wasn't necessarily thinking that way because I could only see, you know, a a part of the picture. But now, stepping back year after year and always focusing on the big picture and, you know, not being so in the weeds all the time, Mm -hmm. you're able to really see what's going to, you know, take your business to the next level year and year after. So that I think is was hard for me to see as a 25-year-old. Yeah,
0: Yeah. right. And then do you have any particular daily routines that help you conquer the day?
1: Yeah, so I do, you know, I've tried every single thing um, in terms of getting myself organized, whether it's like writing emails to myself or, you know, doing... Google Calendar, whatever it is. But uh, I am a big believer in writing things down and okay. writing them down over and over again until mm-hmm. I get them done. And there's something so rewarding about crossing them off the list. Mm-hmm. But I also went back and forth with, you know, do I use a planner? Do I use notebook? But I found that the best combination for me is to have a notebook where I write everything down okay. as my first thing that I do that day. And then I keep track of all of, you know, calendar invites through Google Calendar. Okay. and I'm a big believer, too, in working out, and I've kind of gone off that path this past <laughs> month, but running every day allows me to clear my head, and okay. it also gives me a chance to listen to podcasts, and that you know allows me to zone out and yeah. kind of gain peace with myself and my own mind, because right, right. now I'm you know dealing with so many people all day long, a lot of times I don't have time to just think to myself, so... Yeah. Being quiet every day and also having that hour where I'm sweating but also learning something has yeah. been hugely helpful for Do me. Do you
0: meditate at all?
1: I'm I've tried to get into it a little bit and I've I know, I, to be hard. honest I've had a hard time doing me it. Too. But <laughs> once I get back into my workout routine mm-hmm. and now that I don't have to you know
0: focus on a wedding anymore, I'm gonna yeah.
1: I'm gonna dedicate more time to meditation yeah, because
0: that's what um Tim Ferriss and I guess like ninety percent of the people that he interviews and they're all successful, meditate. I was like, oh, shoot, I got to figure out a way to do this. Yeah, and I
1: I do think, I mean, there's different forms of meditation, and something I've tried to practice is just being quiet with myself every day, Mm -hmm. at least for 10 minutes, even if I'm not doing, like, blues and ahs. But just being at peace with your own thoughts. A lot of times your best ideas come to you when you're in a quiet place and all you hear is your inner thoughts. So Definitely.
0: So if you could give one book to every person, what would it be? I know we just talked about Dale Carnegie's book. Oh, it would definitely be that book. That book? Okay. Yes. Yeah. I actually totally agree with that, too. I think yeah. everyone should read that. And it's an easy read, too. It's such an easy read. And it's principles
1: that you can always go back to, go back like you to. said, and reread again and again. And it's amazing. No matter how many times you've read it, it still feels like a new thought every time yeah. I
0: read it. So And it was written, I think, in like 1930. Yes. I know, it's and it,
1: there's been different editions that have come out over the years, but it always goes back to the, the same principles. And, right. I mean, it's one of Warren Buffett's favorite books, and mm. it teaches you how to be a leader, how to sell. And it also, if you live what he preaches, you will be a happier person.
0: Definitely, yeah. So I think we covered everything. Do you have any last departing words for the listeners, where they can find Tucker Nock, everything else? So you can find Tucker Nock at
1: tuckernock.com or com And I love
0: your new website, by the way.
1: Oh, thank you it so much. Awesome. Yeah, it was a year in the making. So,
0: yeah, I'm
1: glad it worked out. And yeah, I think if I am a you know, just a huge believer in if you want to do something now, is that there's no time better than the present, and right. you just kind of have to be willing to go after it and not be afraid of making mistakes mm-hmm. because you know, mistakes are bound to happen, it's right? Just whether you have a you know, you can overcome the feeling,
0: yeah. Alright, thanks, September. Well that's good. Timber. Hey everybody, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to High Five Success Stories. If you enjoyed it, please go ahead and follow me on Instagram. You can find me at High Five Success or on Twitter at High Five Hayden or friend me on Facebook or LinkedIn for all of their updates. And if you guys could please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, that would be awesome. It would really help me out. Thanks so much and have a great day.